Hey, welcome back to the Behind the Well Show. I'm your host, Roger Abel, here with Elias Randall. Um, and we're filming this at one of the most fun times of the year, in my opinion. March Madness is right around the corner. And we thought this would be a fun show to talk about March Madness and some of the things people are going to do this week. And what I think is interesting is this time of year, people start to do things different that they don't usually do. And I'll use the example. My mom is going to fill out a bracket for the NCAA tournament and try to determine who the winner is going to be. So we're going to start to see this mass amount of people filling out brackets. And this will be the one gambling event they do for the entire year. Um, so I, I think this is one of the funnest times. I don't know. Do you, do you guys do a bracket at your house? Do you, you, do you guys do that stuff? We do. We do. And second to the bracket filling out and the gambling, my favorite thing about March Madness is it's socially acceptable to knock off from work early to watch basketball. <laughs> That's the best part. Everybody's going to take off. In fact, I'm taking off next Friday. My parents have a little party that I'm going to go, and I have another buddy who's like, hey, come over. We're going to have – you know, a small amount of people, not a big gathering because of COVID. But I think we forgot that last year we didn't even get a tournament. We missed out big time. Yeah. And as Hawkeye fans, we really missed out because we had a really good team last year. And we look really good this year, too. Hopefully we have a couple of key guys that are injured that, you know, come back. Hopefully Wieskamp's ankle's not too bad and, and we get to have some fun. But, you know, there's some cool statistics we looked up about this. We always kind of like to look back at history and – I like to tell people this is the single greatest single elimination basketball tournament in the country. Yeah, probably. Yeah, best single elimination tournament ever, I think. Well, yeah, because what happens, everybody has a chance. So, you know, my, my cousin's Mike Grimm, and he made a comment about Minnesota when I asked about their chances, you know, to get into the tournament, which doesn't look good. He said, well, if you have a chip in a chair, you got a chance. So I was in, right? They got a chip in a chair. That's right. And, You're and at we could, the table. You know, we could make it a nice run. Um, but I had someone ask me the other day. They said, you know, when did people start doing brackets? You know, when when did this start? And so you look back, and I had you go do the homework on when people started what we now call as bracketology. Yeah, so according to the Smithsonian on their website, there's a bar in Staten Island that started the first tournament bracket filling out tournament in 1977. Um, I don't know if you ended up, I got down a little rabbit hole reading about this bar. So I don't know if you read any of this, but the last few years they got in trouble with like a bunch of tax things because they're giving out these huge prizes. Well, all the way back to when they started, none of their winners had ever claimed any of this prize money on their taxes. <laughs> so that was kind of a, you know, I'm watching a video about it and then I got down this Sidebar. So that was kind of interesting too. But yeah, so 1977 um, is when it started, and the actual the NCAA tournament started in 1939. So it's been going on a long time, and I guess what 40 years people have been gambling on uh, the March Madness tournament. Yeah, and it's not going to stop. In fact, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and I know the last few episodes we've talked a lot about how there's kind of a gambler's mentality with people in the market, and I feel like more people in general are gambling today than ever before, whether it's on sports, on investments. And I started to think, what's different now versus three years ago? And and I don't know if there's any validity to this, but in the last 12 months in Iowa, 12 to 24 months, we've legalized daily fantasy sports. You now have a sports book 
at the local casinos. And I don't know if this is what's kind of popularizing this gambling. Cause I feel like 10 years ago, if you told somebody a gamble that wasn't like, you weren't hiding from it, but it was almost kind of like poo poo to say, Oh yeah, I'm going to the casino where now you're getting on your phone and you're gambling. So I actually, think that the gambling movement's picking up because of the availability of technology to do this. I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think that we're, we're rapidly accelerating because of some of the things that have changed in the last 24 months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that brings up a good point. So last year, if you think about it last year, March madness being taken away because of COVID that might've kind of been the first domino and some of the things we're seeing in our, our industry now with there's some more, um, like Robin Hood trading and some more speculative gambling. And, you know, one thing we've talked about in the office, just kind of a theory of ours is sports gambling being taken away from people may have helped kind of push people into the stock market and doing some things that they weren't doing before because it's readily available to everyone. Right. Well, you know, and people probably started getting in there and then, you know, Robin Hood was the lighter fluid on the flyer. Because it's right. free, it's easy, it's fun, kind of gamified. But to move on from that, so we started talking about perfect brackets because that's that's the Kesson. Everybody wants to have a perfect bracket. Everybody wants to win their family pool, their office pool. So, you know us, we're doing statistics. We're going to look at the numbers because we, we view this as a, as a numbers game, right? We, when we do financial plans, we say, hey, we work in probabilities, not in – not in, I guess, opinions. Everybody's going to have an opinion. Right. Most aren't, you know, whether they're good or not, it doesn't matter. But if we can get to the probability stage. So, Elias, what are the odds of actually filling out a perfect bracket? And I want you to explain this to yeah. the listeners yeah. and the people that are watching in, like, human numbers. But go for it. Yeah, okay. So the odds are absurd of getting a perfect bracket. <laughs> There's actually... There's more, it's estimated that we have more grains of sand on earth than, than the odds of getting a perfect bracket. So without overcomplicating it, it's one in 9.2 quintillion. So I think probably every year I think to myself, oh, I just learned a new number, quintillion, but I probably relearn it every time March Madness comes out. So here's, here's the order, million, billion, trillion, quadrillion, and then quintillion and it's two to the six two to the 63rd power um so it's very i mean you're not going to fill out a perfect bracket yes it could happen um probably not going to happen and then according to the ncaa.com the record for the most games picked correctly is 55 and actually it's happened eight different times it happened eight times in one year so 55 out of 63 is the best score. And then the longest perfect bracket streak, a guy named Greg Nigel, he got 49 games in a row. So he was perfect up until the second game of the Sweet 16 in 2019. Um, but how did he end up? So that's Where, so, so, so th think this through. He picked the first 49 games perfect. Yeah. Where did he end up the race? Because this is how we're going to kind of equate this to how NCAA and March Madness equate to finances and your financial world and your financial plan, these different things. Where did he end up? Yeah, so this is where this gets crazy because you know, he got a plaque for setting the record. So this was a big deal, 49 in a row. But eight people got 55 games right that year, and he got 54 right. 
he didn't even finish in the top 200,000 of you know the what, bracket challenge. Do you know what the total entries were? Uh, no, I don't know total entries, but he got over 200,000th place with 54 correct. So yeah. He got beat by that, one game. And he's one of the better performers, so there's yeah. a lot of people doing it. So he, but he got beat by one game. He just didn't pick the right games, right? Yeah, because so he's perfect through the 49, but the way these are scored, you're better off losing in the first and second round and picking the champion right, picking the final four right, because it's like a weighted scoring. So as you get further in the tournament, so the championship game is worth the most points. If you pick the champion, that's the highest uh, scoring value pick in the bracket challenge. So here's our tip on brackets, right? Don't stress the early games because you be, someone picked 49 games correct and he didn't win. So people go out there and we all fall in love with the Cinderella. We want to say, hey, you know, I'm going to be a hero and I'm going to pick the 16 to knock off a one. Most of the time, you're better off rolling with the, comp, the, the, the schools that have the best chance to get to the Elite Eight, the Final Four, and win the championship. Right? If you go throw the Hawkeyes in the championship game, we all hope they win. I'm picking them. I know you're picking them. I am. But odds are there's three or four other teams that probably have a higher probability to win. And if the Hawkeyes don't win, your bracket's basically over. Yeah, you're blown right? up at that You've blown up yeah, your yeah. bracket because you went for And if you're filling out multiple brackets, great. Just realize that you need to be have the Elite Eight. Because think about it. If you don't get the teams that are right in the Elite Eight, well, you can't you can't win a game in the yeah, final four. You right. can't win a championship. So you gotta you can't get too crazy on those early rounds and try to pick yeah. the the upset because you think that's gonna save your bracket. Because the chances of actually one of these Cinderella teams winning the tournament, it's not great. In fact, I look back and I wanna say there was an eight seed who beat a one in 1985. I want to say it was Villanova over like Georgetown. I just did a quick search. Yeah, so v Villanova in 84, 85. That's one of the great Cinderella yep. teams of all time. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, we've had Hawkeye teams that have been close. We have local legends. Yeah, we do. Living here that were on Hawkeye teams that had a great shot. And, you know, unfortunately, things just didn't go the way they wanted. But hopefully this is the year for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, so one thing I found interesting when we were – looking at like strategies to pick out um, a top bracket. So this video I watched, one of the thing, one of the keys was what you were just saying, like, don't worry about the early rounds. And they were saying how in the early rounds, you're going to take excessive risk in order to get a perfect bracket, but the later rounds are more important. So that was like, I just, that caught me because I was like, oh yeah, excessive risk. That's something we talk about all the time. And we'll get into later in the show. Um, but even just filling out your bracket, trying to chase Cinderella, it's really not even worth it. But it's fun, right? So, oh, yeah. you know, it, it depends on where you lie, right? If you are just making this fun and you want to just follow your team and have a fun bracket, we'll do what you want. But we're competitive. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> we're trying to beat the other guy. So, you know, if you're competitive, you know, the late rounds matter. But it leads right into – you know, the first way that March Madness and finances correlate, and we're going to cover nine, kind of the nine things you can get out of March Madness. And the first one is that financial planning is about being perfect. If you think about it, Greg Nigel finished out of the top 200,000 because he was trying to be perfect. And investing isn't about selecting the perfect portfolio. If we really think about it, 
there's not a perfect investment because we don't really know. But what investors can do is they can focus on the things they can control because you can't control if a 15 beats a two. That's out of your control. That, that's highly unrealistic to happen all of the time. So what are the four things we can control? We can control our asset allocation. We can control our cost. We can minimize taxes and we can optimize the asset location of where things are between Roth IRA, traditional IRAs, 401ks, taxable accounts. These are really the things that if you think about it, we can focus on. So instead of saying, hey, I need to find the perfect or best investment, work in what we call the sphere of control. Yeah. So in this, I wanted to ask you this question because you've been you've been an advisor for almost 20 years. So one, have you been perfect in your career? Have you always picked winners? And then in times where maybe you weren't perfect, what did you learn from those times? And I guess, how do you adapt and move on from there when you're in a situation where, okay, I wasn't perfect here? No, that, that's a great question. We're not perfect. And if someone tells you they are, probably should just run the other way because they're not either or or they haven't done it long enough, right? You could run into someone who's been in this business for, you know, two years. They say, I've never sold someone a losing investment. Well, okay, maybe. You <laughs> yeah, haven't been right. around for 20 years. Right. So yeah, yeah. it's the law of averages. So I, I say, I wouldn't worry about being perfect. I don't try to be perfect. What I try to do is create asset allocations for people based upon the results of a well-written financial plan. And that'll take us to the championship game. Because remember, if early on or any time through there, we don't pick the perfect investment, it doesn't matter. It's the long game. Can we be right nine out of 10 times versus being right one out of 10 times and picking the one Cinderella that happens to make it to the sweet 16, which at the end of the day, doesn't even matter. You know, a show or two ago, we talked about the idea of someone investing $1,000 into some individual stock because they got a tip from the guy roofing their house. Well, at the end of the day, if you put $1,000 into it, how much does it actually have to go up percentage-wise to even be meaningful in your long-term financial plan? And it's massively. The chance of it ever becoming a meaningful part of your plan is you know, completely not unrealistic, but most of the time it's just not going to happen. Yeah. For the, yeah. For those one-off ideas where oh, I'll just throw a thousand bucks in it because, well, even if you get 20 times your money on your return, well, you have $20,000 now and that's not like, yeah, $20,000 is a lot of money, but in the big picture of your long-term plan, that's you know, that's less than a year of income that you're going to draw out of your out of your portfolio. It's not going to not going to change change your long term results, which you know, kind of leads into the the number two thing we can take away. And it's if you're in this for the long game, stick with the blue chip programs, right? Stick with things that are tried and true, have long term track histories, and in good risk adjusted returns associated with them. Um, it's not relevant to pick the perfect investment. It's relevant to accomplish your goals. You know, bracket challenges, these bracket challenges, the scores are based upon what round you win. So if you kind of correlate that to your financial plan, well, if I don't win in year 22, because think about it, let's say you're 22 and you pick the perfect investment and you happen to put $1,000 in and it doubles, it's worth 2,000. Well, later on, it's not about picking the perfect investment. It's not having implosion because the person who picked the perfect investment had a higher likelihood of actually losing in the first round 
other bracket than winning. So flip that. If you're 65 and you're trying to pick the perfect investment, are you going to put it all on the yeah. line? And a 65, what? That's a sweet 16, the elite eight you, now of your financial life, I you, guess. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Your life goes in phases. You, you got the first round, 64 teams. You're playing down. The championship rounds when you're like 60 or 65. And all you have to do is just not mess it up. Right? Because you're not going back to round one. You might not win the championship. But that doesn't mean that you have to go back to square one unless you try to be perfect and make a bad pick because you have to get there. Right. Well, and just so just to make an analogy to the March Madness brackets, so Greg Nigel, he had 49 in a row, and he didn't even finish in the top 200,000 for that year's tournament because he got 54 out of 63, right? Eight people got 55 out of 63, right? And I don't remember exactly, but I don't think he picked the championship game right. So he lost out on a lot of points there. Um, and so a question I wanted to ask, because this is something we get asked a lot and people talk about. Um, and we talk about relative returns a lot. And I know we get a lot of talk about beating the market and stuff like that. But if we're so if we're going to go down, OK, risk adjusted returns and that matters. So if someone comes to you with like they got a 60-40 portfolio or a 80-20 portfolio, that'd be stock to bonds, like 80% stocks, 20% bonds. And let's say they're outperforming the total stock market, like the S&P 500. What, what does that signal to you? And then as far like what does that signal to you as an advisor and what, what do you start to think and how do you process that and what's the conversations you have? Well, I think if you had an 80-20 portfolio, or especially a 60-40 portfolio, the chances of you outperforming the market are, I mean, that's probably not going to happen. You know, so that's a good point. We're going to stick with the blue chip programs in the bracket. That's a good strategy. And investing, sticking with the tried and true strategies, good portfolio managers, um, probably over the long term going to work out pretty good. So let's go on to number three. I like the title. This one's kind of funny. Don't get seduced by Cinderella. So let's talk about some memorable Cinderella stories. Well, remember back, I guess I remember because I was like in junior high and younger in high school and Gonzaga every year was like the Cinderella pick that, well, now they're like a powerhouse. Now they're, they're a blue chip. Now. I mean, honestly, they, they might be the best team in the country. There's like, yeah. maybe Michigan can play with them, maybe another team, but man, they are really, really good. But I, I do remember because They'd come in, oh, Gonzaga. And it wasn't like they were getting, like, really low seeds. Just nobody really expected them to constantly and continuously, you know, be in the mix. And they have been. They built a great program there. Yeah, and then everyone remembers Davidson Wildcats and, the, and Steph Curry making their run. George Mason, that was a great run in 06. And then just uh, two or three years ago, Lo, uh, Loyola in 2018 made a run. Um so, you know, it's just every year, who's Cinderella? Who's going to be the Cinderella team? And just kind of like we were talking, your coaches, so like, you know, your Tom Izzo's, your Mike Krzyzewski's, John Calipari, Mark Few, the coaches that are always there and their teams that are always playing the best at the end of the year, those coaches are the guys that are going to take their program deep into the tournament, typically. For sure. And, you know, it's funny, Elias, I have a Cinderella story for you that, that equates to investing. Yeah. This happened like five years ago. It's prospect referral from from his mom actually, who's a client of mine. And he calls in, he goes, Roger, I need some help. And this is like 2017, 2018. Markets have been good. He yeah. goes, My 401k is down 94%. I don't know what's going on. And I 
instantly I'm like, no way is your 401k down 94. Like that just can't happen. I mean, the markets have been up every single year. How have you lost 94%? This is in 2017? 17, 16, 18, somewhere, somewhere in there. Okay. Either way, the markets have been positive. It, yeah. Had, he's right. down 94%. I'm like, man, no way. And I remember walking to Casey's office. I'm like, no way can this, can this be? So I said, Hey, I said, send me your statement over so I can take a look at it. I start looking at it and he'd happen to open a brokerage window, right? So if you think about a 401k, they've got your traditional 401k side and some companies allow you to open a brokerage window. Well, he had been investing most of his money in the brokerage window. And sure enough, he was down 94%. The only money he'd made was basically the S&P 500 index that he was buying on the, the, the 401k side with his new contributions. And okay. I can't figure out what his investing strategy is because he's buying individual stocks. In the brokerage window. In the window. brokerage window, individual okay. stocks. He's yeah. chasing, you're, we're gonna get to Cinderella. <clears throat> so I call him up and I, I said, hey, whatever you're doing, just allocate all of your money to the S&P 500 right now and don't mess with that brokerage window till I figure out like how this happened. Cause yeah, I've just got the same. I'm like, just stop. Like, don't put any more money there. Like stop the bleeding. Yeah, so this is like a total, we just need this, this needs a reset. Something's yeah, massively so I, wrong here. So he calls me back. He goes, Roger, he goes, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's like, you know, whatever the cost of $111 a share and the light bulb went off in my head. I go, whoa, whoa, time out. I go, how are you picking your stuff? You're buying the brokerage window. He goes, well, I'm buying the stuff that's has the lowest share price because that, that has the best chance to make money. So he's trying to bet on the underdog. Well, I started really digging in. He was basically buying coal companies that were going bankrupt. It's Cause he's just picking on, he, he's picking on pure, pure price. share price. Did he know that they were coal? No, nope, Cause he didn't research companies? it. He just saw a lowest share price. He thought that share price predicated the opportunity for returns. So, just because something looks pretty and we think it can go up or it's really cheap does not mean that you're going to have success. In fact, most of the time there may, may be failure associated with it. But I, when I heard Cinderella, I'm like, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to find the Cinderella. You know, he's trying to find the lowest share price that has the best chance to go up. So I think a takeaway is don't pick a, an investment based upon its share price compared to another share price. You would pick it it's share price relative to its earnings. That's how you select investments. So I thought yeah, that, that was a really, really good Cinderella kind of story. Like that's a good example of the the fancy coach turned into the pumpkin at midnight. There. I mean, literally, all you had to do was just put in the S and P five hundred. I mean, he was a yeah. young guy, so this wasn't cataclysmic, but it was a lot of money. It wasn't like fifty thousand bucks. It was a lot of money. Um, well, at least he was younger and still had time to get 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 it straightened out. Yeah, yeah. So I, I thought that was good for Cinderella. But you you mentioned one, and that leads into number four, and that great coaching matters. And I think this year something I don't know how the game had. You know, we were filming just a day after. Did Michigan State win yesterday? Did you watch? No, I didn't. No. Okay, I, I don't know, know if they won or not. We're filming the day after the Michigan State game, but this year, if you look back, Tom Izzo had a really tough time the first half of this year, but they made a good run going into the big 10 tournament. And it seems like the same coaches are there year in and year out. And I get it. Part of it is because they work for iconic programs, right? They work for the Dukes, North Carolina, Kansas, you know, Tom's all these guys, 
they're in iconic programs, but they're there because they're the best. So if I'm betting, I want to bet on the best coach. And, and if you think about how people are investing and how we relate this, there's you either have, if you're investing today, you either have a coach. Well, everybody has a coach. It's either you or somebody else. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. So, so yeah. you have to ask yourself, am I the best coach to put myself in the position of my finances to get to the championship game? Yeah. Well, and we, and right. it matters. It does matter. And we've, we've talked about on the show and it's something we do try to talk with people about that the coaching we provide or the teaching, um, that's, I guess, in our opinion, the most valuable thing we provide for people. Um, I do want to say something though about Tom Izzo since, cause we were getting ready for this. So I looked at his overall record and there's a spreadsheet on Wikipedia of every season, all of the championships. He basically wins 30 games every year. I think there was one season he didn't win 30 games. Wins 30 games every year. And then over here, regular season, Big Ten champion or tournament champion. And in the years they don't win the regular season, it's like, okay, well, then they won the Big Ten tournament and got into the NCAA, made a good run at that too. Yeah, he's, he's kind of like a wizard. But here's what I think is interesting because all these coaches have one kind of commonality. They focused on the important, what's most important, which is literally the fundamentals of the game. They're not trying to create the next fancy behind the back, over the top, lob, dunk, pass, whatever it is. They're working on passing, boxing out, taking good shots, you know, picking people, all the fundamentals. And that's what we help people do. Right. We yeah. try to help people block out the game stops and man, do I have to buy this stock today? We're literally just doing the fundamental things. How do we make a better pass? How do we have proper shooting form? And we try to put people on track. So that's why great coaches understand that, you know, we have to focus on fundamentals. The other thing they get is that the pass doesn't matter. That's right. right. Tom Izzo is great because he doesn't get up in front and say, we did this last year, or I had this player four years ago. Think about this. They're cycling through these players every year. Yeah. So they have to adapt and change. Well, if you're not adapting your financial plan or you're not adapting your strategy, you have what we call a static plan, right? The old school financial planning. You come in, you get a financial plan, throw it in the drawer. Oh, yep. I did a financial plan seven years ago. Oh, really? What's changed in seven years? Nothing, I mean, nothing's what, you have more gray, yeah. just gray hair, that's it, yeah, like for yeah. me? No, so we always talk to people about having these very dynamic plans. It's really like we're creating a game plan, right? The short-term and the long-term game plan for people to get to financial success. Yeah, so just look at you know Virginia from 2018, 2019. Great example of a team. 2018, they're a number one seed and they lose to a number 16 first time ever. Well, then they come back in 2019 and win the championship. So as a coach, you know, their coach, it'd be easy to get down on yourself and everyone thinks that you're the biggest choke ever, but he got, he got those guys to focus on what's the next step. How do we do this to not do what we did last year? And then they end up going on a run and winning the NCAA championship. And the other thing I want to point out, so typically – it's either going to be a top, a top four seed. Usually it's a one or two that wins the championship. Well, I, want, I want to point something out, though, about Virginia before you move on. Because okay. this is really good. It relates to how people think about investments. The Virginia coach didn't focus on 
the one lost to the 16th seed, right? So if you think right. about when someone comes in, they're looking at the investments and how things have done and all that stuff. People don't typically look at the good ones. They focus on the one investment that did the worst. Right? Oh yeah, every meeting we have, if there's one that's down, one little. Well, why loser, is this one down? Yep, well, yep. that's actually irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. So the great coaches aren't focused on this one off or microcosm that probably won't happen again. Or if it does, it's not even meaningful, right? If you think about it, someone will look at their statement and say, "Oh, that one's down 15%." Well, it could literally be like. 1% of their portfolio, like a completely meaningless amount. But if it's down 15, they're going to say, well, what's up with that one? And it's irrelevant. So what the Virginia coach did is said, hey, we lost in the NCAA tournaments one game. Stuff happens. This is college basketball. Anybody can win on any given day. And they came back and won a championship. And that's no different than somebody's investments. Just because you have a loser, that doesn't matter. Now, if they're all losers, like you know, the pilot we talked about, that's a big deal. That matters. Yeah. That matters. Right. But if he did one of them with a small amount of the portfolio, it doesn't matter, which is part of the reason we have diversification, right? What's the diversification in college basketball? We play 20 or 25 or 30 games, whatever it is. We diversify our schedule so that we have the opportunity to get ourselves to that tournament and make a run at a championship. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a good segue into our next, our next talking point here. And that was, that's what is winning. So if you win the NCAA championship, is that a good season? Or how many schools are out there that maybe they're an underdog for the entire year and they get like second or third in their conference for the regular season? Well, but then they win their conference championship and get into the NCAA tournament. Is that a good season for those teams? Yeah, because it's realistic expectations. So this is how we'd equate this in the financial world. What is winning? What is winning is accomplishing the goal you set forth has nothing to do with beating somebody else, right? In basketball, we quantify winning by we beat the other team, right? Right. It's black and white. It's yeah, black yeah. and white. Yeah. In the financial world, it's not black and white, right? Because I, people always ask, how much do I have to have to retire? And there's, you know, like Dave Ramsey, they say, oh, you have to have a million bucks. Well, okay. Some people could do it on a million and be great. And some people can't. It's about the lifestyle that you've chosen to live and how you want to live. So each person has their own goal. And that's how you should be quantifying winning. It's not beating somebody else. It's not having more money than somebody else. That's a fool's game. You're never going to have the most money, right? If you're trying to compete well, on about how much money yeah. and how much stuff you have, you're not going to win because you're not beating Jeff Bezos. Yeah, if you're Bezos or Elon or you're, Musk. You're not catching them. You're, you're competing for most money in the world. I mean, unless yeah. you're reading books on rocket science and learning this yourself, <laughs> the chances of catching them are slim. So right. it really comes down to a realistic expectation. So I think as Hawkeye fans, we get skewed by this. We want to win championships. Guys, we're in Iowa. We're probably not winning championships. I mean – who wants to come to Iowa? We just had two weeks with zero degree weather. Boy, that's a real draw for a recruit to the state of yeah, Iowa. Yeah, huge draw. So there. if yeah, you think yeah. about it realistically, if we can make the tournament every year and win a game or two or three, well, that that's fun. But the expectation shouldn't be we're going to compete for a title, even though we expect that every single year. Yeah. And it's the same thing with your finances. If your goal is to retire at 65 with X amount of dollars – and we run a financial plan. We're able to say, well, you could do this at 63. You won. It doesn't matter as more oh, money. Yeah. You won the end game. And that's really why we talk about people getting financial plans done so that they can win the end game. Yeah. 
Right, and just that situation there, if your goals were to retire at 65 and you do a financial plan and it says 63, I mean, you had just, you had said, well, my national championship is 65. Well, now you can do it two years earlier. You want it. That's a big win right there. I 100%. Think, and most people are going to feel really good about that. For, they absolutely and will feel very good about it. I'm still picking the Hawks to win the championship in my bracket, just so you know. <laughs> hey, I, I think it's fun. They have, they could do it, but there's some teams. They're going to have to be fully healthy to do it. So this is one of the, the, the ones we had the most fun with when we were actually preparing this show. And this is number seven, and that there's more drama with every round, right? Like, oh, first round, there's a little drama, but – as it goes, it gets more exciting and more intense. And now we're at the Elite Eight. And if there's a Cinderella in there, man, it's a big story. Because the more you watch, the more you're drawn into it, the more emotionally you're attached to this that you actually are. Yep. And we've seen the same thing in finance. If the more you watch CNBC, the more you're tuning into the news media, and the more you start watching these investments go up and down and stuff like GameStop happens and – um, you watch, you know, Tesla go to the moon, all this different stuff. You get drawn into the drama. Humans are drawn to drama. For some reason, we like it. We could say we don't. We do. We're the reality TV generation. I mean, you think about the shows we watch. You know, you're watching The Bachelorette. I mean, look at what's on TV at the main times. Right. I'm watching Curse of Oak Island. My wife thinks I'm nuts because they don't ever find anything other than some brooches and they're a going lead cross. To, yeah, yeah, they're but going they're going to. to. <laughs> but I watch it every Tuesday night. You know, Gold Rush. Why do people watch Gold Rush on Friday night? Because it's their American it's dream. Like, yeah, it's oh exciting. my gosh, it's exciting. Watch this guy, mine. You know, get gold fever. So, the more drama, the more you watch stuff, the more drama comes with it. And and I, you know, I don't know. You gotta. Eliminate drama in the financial part of your life is the best thing to do. It's not the most fun thing to do to eliminate the drama, but it typically is what's going to help your financial life kind of go to the next level. Yeah, right. And you know you know me, I'm boring, I'm tried and true. So my financial plan, I'm not relying on a last second buzzer beater. I'm just going for fundamental layup after layup. I'm going to let compound interest, uh, compound interest work for me. And, you know, Jeff, Jeff on a show that you did with Jeff Johnson earlier, he talked about how like back in the 60s, people would, would hold one mutual fund for an average of 12 years. Well, nowadays, people are holding a, one investment for like 12 months or less, I think he said. So that's just like, you know, and that, that just goes to show we're so much more in tune because we can look at our portfolio on our phone or on our computer, and then we can just make a change with the click of a button, whether that change is good or not. Well, in Elias, that kind of leads into the next thing. And what actually matters most with the NCAA tournament and your finances is the game plan actually matters most. Yeah. Right? What's the X's and O's? You know, who's going to guard who? You know, most people pick a 10 C to beat a 7 because it happens almost every year. Well, if you think about it, a 7 and a 10 seed, they're probably pretty similar. It might just be the conference they came from. You know, if one person was from a better conference. Right. What's really <clears> – <throat> predicating who's probably winning there is who's executing that game plan better. Yeah. So now I wanted to tell a story. So this is from my high school basketball days. So this is kind of one of those back in the day stories. So my high school basketball team, we were playing the number one seed in the tournament in the first round. So that means we were the last seed and before the game. So we had like two days of practice and our coach came up with this defensive game plan and he goes, he told us 
but two days before the game, he goes, we're going to play this game for a last-second shot, and just hopefully we have the ball. So they had a really good post player, a very good point guard. But they had one guy on their team that had the red light from his coach. His coach wouldn't let him shoot. So we put our best defender on the point guard. We had we double-teamed the post player, guy in front and a guy behind. We left one guy open, and then the guy who had the red light on shooting, we had two guys kind of playing a zone. When he got the ball, if he picked up his dribble, they would go find the other person. And it actually worked. Well, okay, it didn't work. We lost the game, but we had the ball last, and our best shooter took a three-point shot, and it was like an in-and-out bounced up almost came back and uh and went in and we would have upset the number one seed in our district that year so I always think back to that and I'm like that was a great example of we had a plan we stuck to the plan and our coach he knew he knew this is our only chance we can't run with these guys so this is our we're going to play this weird defense and hopefully we can get Jake a last second shot and it goes in well you know what though it's good because what he did is he went through the probabilities in his mind and said, right. yeah, yeah. what are the chance we can do it? How can we do it? And I'd still say you won because the game plan sounds like it was executed pretty well because you actually had the chance. doesn't mean it always goes in, but it's about having, giving yourself an opportunity yeah. to have the win. <clears throat> and one thing, you know, how we do that in the finance world is by doing that financial plan. Right, because by doing the financial plan, we can start to put some probabilities and statistical analysis behind how do we help you win and put you in the best situation possible. It doesn't mean it will work out 100% of the time, right? When we want to yeah. run a financial plan, there's no 100% probability of success. But what do we do? We try to put you in the position to win because that's yeah. what we can control. We can't control what the stock market does. We can't control what interest rates do. You know, I, as a financial planner, I can't control how you spend money, right? If you you tell us you're gonna spend 5,000 a month, but you spend eight, well, that's out of my control. All I could do is put you in the right position based upon what you told me, but I can't, can't actually like stop the debit card for you. So right. that's where just a really good game plan matters most in basketball, in finances, you know, and for your financial plan. Yeah. Yeah. And that brings us to our last point. So the last one, luck and skill are not the same. And we've all been there. I know what the years I have a good bracket going. It's not because I'm lucky. It's because I'm smart. I just know which teams are going to win, right? No, it's not. And I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> so I, I mentioned daily fantasy. I mentioned daily fantasy sports earlier. And this year it was legal in Iowa, right? So I'm like, oh, and I do good at fantasy football every year. I know what's going on. So I pump my chest up and open my account. The first week I win some money, I'm like, oh, I'm good. Like, I'm really good. For like the next five weeks, I get my butt kicked. I'm like, I'm done. I haven't touched it since. I realized I'm not that good because there's guys who are doing this for a living. Why would I try to compete in daily fantasy sports when there are people that earn their living that way? And it's like what's happening in the stock market today. It's easy to be lucky and think you're good when everything goes up. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, why would you try to compete with an advisor or a professional and think you're better when you spend like an hour a month doing this? And I'm not saying there's not people who aren't, but the vast majority of the population, it's not what they do for a living. And they may get lucky a little bit, but that doesn't mean you're good. The people who bought GameStop three years ago 
because they just liked the company. And I know someone who did that. Like, I just like GameStop. It wasn't because they thought it was going to make money. I just wanted to own it. Well, were they good or were they lucky? They were all lucky. Yeah. That's right. it. And right. that's okay. Luck is fine. But what we try to do with your financial plan, and we specifically tell people, we try to take luck out of your financial planning. How many people yeah. want luck and hope to be part of their financial plan? I would say most people don't. Most people want their financial plan to be based on probabilities that can be quantified for them, that make them feel good at night. And they don't go to sleep and say, man, I hope I get lucky tomorrow. Yeah. And I... You know, our process, we do our absolute best to take the luck out of it. Um, there's always an there's element always, of it. Right. No matter what you do, there's always an element of luck. Um, you know, but if we're making decisions with data to back it up and we're working on probabilities, we're doing our best to take luck out of the equation. We do our best to put people in a position to execute a game plan to get to the final shot. So with that said, Elias, this was actually a really fun show. Um I hope a lot of people watch it. If you like the show, if you like the videos, hit the subscribe button. Please like the videos. Um, I'm sure we're going to have something good next time. Do you have any closing thoughts, Elias? Um, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.